Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Uh, we live in a time where if you start judging people, um, the hate that comes from that, right? And it's okay to judge someone if they're a Christian, but if you're a Christian judging someone based on God's standard, uh, there is a kind of hate that is now allowed to be expressed. I think the hate has always been there, but now it's allowed to be expressed in a way. Um, even people that aren't really Christians, but they say things that are Christian-esque, right? Like you're against abortion, you're, you don't believe someone can tell you what pronouns to use. Uh, in the political world. They hate that as well. Because when you get judged, people hate it, right? We live at a time where in uh, particular denominations, even in the Presbyterian world, when you lay down the judgment that God has already laid down in his word, you become the target of hate, Right? Uh, your pastor has worked hard to fight against um, people that have tried to say that uh, evil is good. And when you say, no, it's not, the hate that comes out of their mouths. Um, people don't like judgment. Um, this even comes down even into your own family, so you will notice your children don't like to talk about their failures. When you try to help them along, uh, kids, for some reason, I don't know why, they just don't like to talk about where they are failing miserably, even if they know it. Even if they know they're failing, they don't want to talk about it. And you become the focus of their anger because you are bringing it up once again. Today we're going to talk about how Christ is the prophet, and this is the work of a prophet. Uh, if you would, turn to Deuteronomy 18. Starting at verse 18. As you know, Deuteronomy is the book in which Moses is uh, laying down the law. He's kind of talking to his kids, Israel. For the last time, he knows that this is his last speech to these people. They're about to go into the promised land. It's kind of like when your kids turn 18 and they're about to leave your home. What's the last thing you want to say to them while you have their face in front of you and their attention for the last five minutes of their time before they go off into the world? Uh, what would you want to say? This is, this is Moses talking to his kids, Israel. And he's laying down the law for them and he's giving them standards on what... Uh, <laughs> how they should live, and who's going to tell them what to do, and all these things. And he's talking about a prophet. And he is, um, as a prophet, he's speaking about prophets, because the Lord is telling him what to say. So he says in verse 17, The Lord said to me, uh, They have spoken well. I will rise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word uh, presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And so we have the standard of what a prophet will be. And this is interesting because Moses was kind of seen as the guy, right? He's the guy that God speaks through, and then, and then he tells us what God wants. And now Moses is saying, There's gonna, God's going to rise up other men. They're going to be like me. I'm going I'm, I'm to be gone, and other men are going to take over this role of telling you what God has said. And typically, what you see throughout the Old Testament is these men that God raises up to speak uh, aren't treated very well. Uh, surprisingly, people don't want to hear where they are failing. So in the office as a prophet, it is one who comes with the words from God to the people. I want you to see that there is uh, covenantal work going on, right? You have a mediator so to speak, who's mediating between God and the people. Um, you find it interesting that that's the way uh, God wanted it to work. Uh, he is having a mediator go between him and the people, and this person has to be involved in, with the people. Okay? Uh, in the service of the Lord, okay, he is in the service. Lord has put him in a kind of work, right? And it is for the spiritual interests of the people. The spiritual interests of the people. I know all this sounds kind of like fact gathering, but we're getting to a point. There's a reason why we're going through this. You'll see. Okay? It's one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, this means that what he is saying, he is basically, not basically, he is literally saying, this is what God says. I mean, think about the responsibility of the prophet who says, this is what God says. You don't want to get it wrong, right? You don't want things open for interpretation on that. Um, so the Old Testament prophets oftentimes are quoting God, whatever God said, they quote it. Um, there's even evidence of them summarizing. Uh, but whatever they say, they are very careful because what they're saying is, when they say, I come in the name of the Lord, I come in the name of God, you're saying, this is what God said. And he wants you to know it. So it's not just, um, I heard God say this to me. He's saying, this is a message for you through me. Okay, this is the work of a prophet. So there's particular duties of a prophet. Um, when a prophet is given this service for the Lord, um, he has, how many things do I have here? One, two, three, four, five. Five different things. Now, there might be more, but we don't have a lot of time. So let's just say it's five right now. So we have uh, that he reveals uh, the will of God to the people. Now, uh, 
When someone talks about someone's will, especially God's will, uh, what do we mean by that? What does God want for you? Okay. A desire. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what does he want? What is he... Uh, what, what's another way we talk about the will? His plan. A plan? Yeah. That there's this... Um, there's an event he wants to happen. There is uh, maybe a different... Maybe there's a, a way people are, are thinking or something they're doing. And God says, I don't want you... To, my will or my plan for you is for you not to think this way. For you not to do these things. So we talk about God's plan or God's will, what God um, desires for his people to do. What does that come from? In other words, is is God a utilitarian? Does he say, say, you know, you guys seem to be killing each other and that that just isn't going to work out well for for an established government? And that's really my goal, is to have an established government called Israel. Later on, we'll have something called the church. But right now, I just really want government to work out well. So I want you know, Israel to be good Republicans, and this is how the best way to do it. Was that, I know I sound, yeah. I'm being stupid now, but... Yeah. yeah! So the things he wants them to do is going to do what? Did you Fulfill his glory. Fulfill his glory. Yeah. Now, how does God find glory? How does he become glorified by what people are doing? Um, and I'm going to make an analogy here. And I, don't, I think, at first you might think, well, that's, that's oversimplifying things. And it might be. But I want you to think of that. How many have animals at their house? Cats, dogs, chickens. Thank you. Children. Children. Very close. Uh, When you have an animal uh, that does things that humans don't do, uh, you don't usually take a picture of it or think it's cute. Right? When an animal goes outside, it does its business, and it turns around and starts eating it, you don't go, oh, that's cute. That's gross to us because it's not what, what humans do. Right? But when we see on YouTube or on Facebook someone videotape their dog that folds its, hand, its little paws at, at prayer time, they think, oh, that's so cute. Right? We think that's cute. When an animal does something that humans do, we think it's cute. That's why there's so many cat videos out there, right? You see that cat video where there's, this, there's a stuff on the counter and the cat goes, chink, and just knocks it off? <laughs> and we think that's kind of cute. Because we've seen little kids do that. And it's mimicking what humans do. And that's what makes an animal cute. Because it reminds us of us. Right? It's why we become proud of our children. When they do something that reminds us of us at our best. At our best. Uh, We get very upset when they do things that remind us of, uh, of us at our worst. But when we... When we see, you know, you know, when you see a teenager uh, taking an interest in a three-year-old or a four-year-old, right, that's running around the church, and a teenager stops to 
interact. You think, oh, that's awesome. Why? Because teenagers usually are too cool for school, let alone a three-year-old. Like, I don't care about that. They're not cool like me. And, you know, and, but when we see them interact with them, we think, hey, they're acting like a real Christian. This is great, right? Because that's us at our best, where we take interest in something that doesn't, you know, push our own status forward, right? Where we see some, some kind of humility coming out of them, anything, right? And we're like, oh, that's what we like. And that brings glory to us in a way, right? And so what is God's plan for his people? What is he trying, why does he say, instead of doing this, do this. Instead of having a heart like this, have a heart like that. What's he trying to get them to look like? Um, what brings glory to God when he sees his people acting like him? When there's a mimicry, when there's something that reminds him of himself. And because we're covenantal people, we were made covenantally, we mimic that too. When we see something uh, that our children do, that are like us in a good way, we, that fills us with pride. To glory, and that's a good thing. And so, when the prophet comes before the people and says, This is the will of God, he's really saying, This is God's way of teaching us to be like Him. Because, in the end, what's the big commandment that God has for His people, whether it's Old or New Testament? Be ye holy, because I'm holy. And you're like, Well, what does that mean? Uh, be good, because I'm good. I mean, I guess if you... I mean, what does that mean? Like, give to charity because I give to charity? I mean, is that, is that what we're talking about? What does it mean to be holy because God is holy? Well, he reveals this throughout Scripture. We'll get to that in a little bit. Another duty of the prophet isn't merely to reveal the will of God to his people, but to protest when they are, uh, when there's mere formalism, when they're just being formal, when they're just trying to go through the motions, right? I gave my sacrifice, right? I found, I found the goat that had no blemishes on it. I killed it. I gave it to the priest. The priest killed it the right way. What do you want? Right? I dumped my money in the offering plate. All right, now we can't go out to eat this week, but I did it. There you go. Right? Formalism. I did the thing you said I, I would, and, and we see this as parents, right? That's the best of it right there. <laughs> yeah. We just love that kind of obedience. I did it. I did what you want. Whatever. <laughs> and so we, and don't we just feel, you know, just rejoicing in that. Oh, thank you. Oh, you did me this great favor by doing this one thing. Thank you. Right? We just, we, it just fills us with pride. We just think, oh, if only the other kids can be like my child. And so, um, and Jude, Jude's getting to this thing where, I don't know where, he, he must have seen it on TV, which... Is a good thing. Make sure your kids watch TV because this is what they do. He does this thing where he's... When he, when he doesn't want to do something, he'll go like this. He'll go... 
And, and I was like, I never taught you that. It's like something from, what, the 1950s where little kids are like, I don't want to do it. And, but he does it. He literally stomps his tiny little feet and does this weird face. And I, so, I mean, he'll obey, but then he'll have that look on his face. Anyway. Uh, this formalism uh, follows us right to, our, uh, right to our adulthood, right? We don't stomp our feet anymore because we know people will make fun of us, so we just do it in our minds. Yes. Yes. We, we go to church and we, you know, oh, here's this part that I don't like. I will stomp my feet in my mind, but outside I will just you know, go through the motions. I will, I will grace my church with my great mercy of letting them do this thing that I don't like. Right? And this is our formalism. Um, it's uh, another duty of the prophet is to stress uh, more the moral duties of other people, right? So not only are they interested in not being form uh, this this idea of softening your heart, right, with the duties you have, but to remind them you do have duties. There's these moral things that you need to do to look like God. There's real things you don't get to just have this. Soft, wonderful heart, but no responsibilities, right? Uh, God isn't a hippie. Um, he doesn't want just a soft heart and then do what you want. Uh, the soft heart results in the duties that you're excited to do because you want to please your God. Uh, urge the necessity of spiritual service. That spiritual service to your God is not something that's nice. It's not something you're doing God a great favor. Uh, oh, I did, God, you know, I did God this great favor. We went uh, to both services this Sunday. And so, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, that this service is a necessity before your God. Call the people to truth and righteousness. Calling the people to truth and righteousness. And this, of course is the one that everyone hates the most. Because the minute you feel that you're being judged, you start questioning even the truth they're bringing before you. Right? Uh, because it makes you feel better, because you can nuance their argument and say, well, I don't know if you really even understand that. How dare you tell me to turn to the truth or to be righteous? This is talking about justice, God's justice. So how was it that Christ was a prophet? Um, we go right through these same things. Um, John 5.30. <clears throat> John 5.30. And all through... Um, if you ever doubt that there was, before the foundation of the world, that there was a covenant between... The Trinity. Uh, we call it the covenant of redemption, or um, what are some other names of it? Uh, the covenant of salvation, covenant of redemption, the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant that was the other one, yeah. The pactum uh, salutis, if you will like Latin, which you shouldn't like it. Uh, so, uh, all through the book of John, 
Jesus keeps acting as if there's already been agreements made that he is here uh, to enforce. Um, it doesn't seem like he just came down to do his thing. Because uh, he keeps saying these bizarre things. Look at five, uh, John 5.30. He says this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So now he's talking about being sent. He's talking about doing someone else's will. What is all that about? It's about an agreement that was made before the foundation of the world. That Christ would be redeemer. Father would be lover and will. And the spirit would be the power behind it all. And they acted this way before even, before even a world was around. Um, that should tell us something about God's covenantal work in this world. So in 530 it says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is prophetic work. He is looking to tell the world what the will of God is, what the Father's will is. This is how you look more like the Father. And what was the answer? How do you look more like the Father? Who do you have to look like? Jesus. Jesus. Christ, yeah. Because he's the perfect image, right? Hebrews 1, 3. Perfect image. The exact, if you want to put it that way, the exact image. Colossians 1.18, again, talks about Christ being that perfect image of, of the Father. And so Paul, all through his epistles, say, imitate Christ, imitate Christ. That's how you look like the Father. You imitate Christ. Um, so he's, he speaks as a prophet by telling you what the will of the Father is. In Matthew 23, 27 through 33, he condemns hypocrites. We've got to read this. This is good stuff. I'm not saying that you should live your life as a sarcastic person or as you know, an angry person. But when we start acting as if sarcasm and anger is just forbidden throughout all scripture... You really start uh, having to re-understand what Jesus and Paul were doing. Because um, that's something we always turn to, right? Uh, when we don't like the message of a prophet who might be speaking in, an, in a way that seems angry or maybe even sarcastic. And that's what we attack, right? Well, you can't, you, you're not even talking like a Christian anymore. Uh, and maybe people that have been in the front lines... Maybe Andrew understands this a little better when uh, you start trying to exact what God is saying to people and they say, well, they don't like the message, so they just start attacking how you're saying it. Right? That's the way. That's how we'll get them. Since they have us on the, uh, on the content, we'll just go after what they're saying. But this is what, uh, this is what Christ says to the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, let me see, where are we starting? Matthew twenty three twenty seven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. 
As to, uh, so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Um, what is he doing? He's protesting against formalism. Right? Saying you act like you're, you're doing these things publicly and wearing the right clothes, doing the right things, but inside you're a dead man. What's he saying to these good religious people that have done more? You know, they've dedicated their lives to this, to studying religion. They've dedicated their lives to, to following the religion's laws. And he's saying, right, you're not even one of us. You're not even, you're not a Christian, if you can put it that way. Can you imagine uh, the different people that have uh, that are so popular today that are come across as just peaceful, meek, humble people that just love Jesus so much, um, but inside they're dead men who aren't even Christians. Uh, one of the most uh, Controversial books back in its time was Machen, who, uh, if you remember, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy that started Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, he broke away from the PCUSA. When he broke away, one of the books he came out with was called Christianity and Liberalism. What was he saying? If you're a liberal Christian, you don't have to worry about the Christian part anymore, because that's not what you are. I mean, it's one thing to tell a liberal, hey, you're going wrong in this area, in this area, and so, you know, clean this theology up, please, as if they're talking to a brother in Christ. He's saying, I'm not even talking to brothers in Christ. That's a big deal, right? We don't mind saying, hey, let's disagree about theology. It's another thing to say, we're not only disagreeing, you're not one of us. This is the protest against formalism. Sometimes it looks ugly, right? Uh, Jesus, uh, even then, in uh, Mark 12, 28, um, says this to the people. Uh, when, uh, when someone says, Who is, uh, what is the greatest commandment of the great moral commandments, right? Um, that we even... Uh, sing oftentimes in church. What did Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments because the other commandments uh, repeat these in more specific ways. What's he doing? He's saying, I have a duty to stress uh, that, that you need to be moral. So the duty of love, the duty of love, how does this, where does this moral law come from? It comes from a love of God. A kind of love that is with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, which then allows you to love your neighbor as yourself. And how does he work that out? The Ten Commandments works it out. Um, in Matthew 25... Um, Jesus stresses... Uh, through the parable of the talents, he stresses the necessity of service. 
the necessity of service. What does it look like when someone is given talent for the furthering of God's kingdom and they bury it? Yeah. And you know what's interesting? We kind of associate meekness to that. Like, oh, I just don't want to brag about this. So I just won't do very much with this, right? And what did, what did Christ call that person? Lazy. A lazy, worthless servant. Service is not something that's nice. You're not doing God a favor. It is, uh, it is a necessity if you are going to be his. And Christ proclaims that. Um, in John 17, 16 through 21, he talks about uh, he is praying to the Father. For the sake of the, of the disciples and says, make them holy. Right? Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify means to make holy. I want you to make them holy in truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. Because God is truth. And he's calling his... He's calling his disciples through a public prayer. He's calling them to be to truth and righteousness. Right? So, how does Christ, this is kind of our so what moment, right? So if this is all true about Christ and his prophetic work here on earth, how does he continue his prophetic work now? That he sits on the right hand of God the Father in heaven. How is he continuing his prophetic work today? Through the Holy Spirit. Okay, yes. As you read through scripture, all these things are still going on. Because it's not just the Holy Spirit. Uh, after, the, after the resurrection, there was a... Um, a special work of the Holy Spirit that involves Christ to the point where Paul even calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Um, and so this Spirit is, uh, the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is so, um, if I can put it this way, so related to Christ so bonded to Christ that there is, it is as if um, there is a direct line from Christ to Spirit to you. Right. How else? Okay, well. Um, how does he proclaim the Father's will today? If we look at our confession, what we find is there are some things that might make us feel a little uncomfortable. But I think we really need to think about this. When the pastor preaches God's word, how do we view that? Is it the pastor's opinion? It shouldn't be. 
<laughs> no, no. I mean, we're, our confession says when, when uh, the word preached is the word of God. The word preached is the word of God. How is this prophetic work still coming through to you? comes through scripture, obviously, but it also comes through preaching. So how does this affect us? Is it any wonder that in a church that as, uh, as members, it is easy to start criticizing whom? Pastor. The pastor, right? Now I wouldn't do it that way. I would, I would do it. You know, I don't. You know that music. I don't know why he allows that kind of. I don't know if that really makes me feel like uh, it should be this way. You know, he oughta, he oughta, he oughta, right? And we, the uh, experts. And why do we do that? Yeah. How much do we enjoy Christ telling us that we're doing something wrong? We don't enjoy it. And we would never tell Christ that we don't like what he's saying. It's just this guy who uh, is preaching to us, who obviously got this part of the scriptures wrong, because uh, how dare he say this about us and my family? Right? I mean, yeah, I, okay, I'm not doing great at home, and he obviously brought that out. But, you know, I don't know if he really exegeted this right, you know, with my great brain of brains. You know, he had some training, but, you know, I've read it. I've read the Bible. I mean, you would not believe the, the expertise of Scripture that everyone has, right? That everyone just gets because you're a Christian. You're like, suddenly now you're, everyone's an expert, right? Because you're a Christian and you read it once. And so, uh, you know, so what that he did some training? You know, that doesn't mean anything. I have the Spirit, <laughs> And that's great. I don't want to make light of that. But also at the same time, uh, we start thinking about these little nuances because we don't like someone telling us that we're doing something wrong. We don't like someone telling us that we need to return to the truth, that we are, our righteousness is waning, that our love is not love for each other because our love for our God is waning. We don't want someone to call us to service because we don't have time. We don't want someone to condemn us as hypocrites because really we know we're good people. And how dare he say that? Yes? Well, I don't know if I don't... Like, it's painful to hear about my sin, but it's like it's like Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you know, scales being ripped off of Eustace. Yes. Becoming less of a dragon kind of pain. It's really yeah. a relief. I don't know. That's a good image, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, and that's how we should be responding, right? We should be responding with walking away with a, I needed that. When it, when it comes from our peers, mm -hmm. we're, we're willing, I, I bet, we're willing to hear what God's word says mm -hmm. and it directly apply to us. But when it comes from our elders, when it comes from our pastor, it's, it's almost kind of like, two pieces of sandpaper going at each other. Mm. It, it's the pride of the individual who says, no, I want to be you. Yeah. 
right? I want to be you, and you cannot be above me. Yeah. In that in that situation, and I think what we have to realize is what Christ said. Yeah. When He says, "Not my will." Think about that. Your will. That is a great point. Yeah. So Very. You, you, you have to learn meekness. Yeah. In those situations, in, in our culture, in American culture, yeah. who teaches that? Yeah, nobody. Right. Except for the scripture, right? Yeah, because in America, we're so individualistic. We love the idea of living our own lives. Um, this is something that I had to deal with even at Bob Jones, and my son has to deal with. Your peers coming up to you saying, um, your shirt's not tucked in. Ten demerits. You know, I don't like doing this, but it's very important that your shirt is tucked in to me, person. And so then you get in trouble by some guy that you don't even know. And, you, and what's, what's, your, what's your pride say? Immediately, it's, who are you to tell me? And that's the first response, right? And this is, and you're exactly right, this is what happens when you have people placed in position to tell you the truth and to call you to righteousness. And when they do it, our first thought is, well, who are you to tell me? And here's Christ, God Almighty on earth, Lord Sabaoth, God, says not my will, but the Father. Um, so I say all that because I think we're very fine with Christ being prophet we're okay with that and if Christ wants to tell me that I need to work on something that's fine but if the man that God has placed over us to be our shepherd and to call us to God uh start saying it, well, then we have a problem. Um, and I hope that as we start thinking about these things, we remember that when God is working through our pastor in that pulpit, or even in the discipline of the session, or whatever it is, that our hearts bow before it the same way we would bow before the teachings that come from Christ himself through our scriptures. We understand that we are not the judge, but God is. And it is hard to deal with that in a time where pride is looked on as a good thing and not a bad thing. So anyway, uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer. And uh, next week we'll start on what it means for Christ to be our priest. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for your word. We pray for your blessing over today as we uh, sit before your word. Um, we pray that your spirit would work in us uh, and that the spirit will guide us into all truth, that our hearts would be softened, that we would say yes and amen to your word, Lord. We uh, pray for this and for your guidance uh, over the rest of today as we spend it in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.